0: Welcome to another edition of Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting, and I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I'm wishing you a good evening or even a good afternoon, depending where you are in the world right now and how you're listening to my voice. I'd like to welcome you, one and all, to tonight's broadcast, and I think we have a pretty interesting broadcast lined up for you tonight on something of a different, different twist on something of an old topic, but... Before we get into that specifically, I'd like to remind listeners that tomorrow night we're going to be talking to documentary filmmakers James Lane and Holland Van den Neuwenhoff about their forthcoming and very soon-to-be-available documentary on the OKC bombing and the specifically the false flag aspects of it. Um, I, I know they've been working on this for an awfully long time, so I'm very much looking forward to that conversation. They are both a wealth of knowledge on the issue of the OKC bombing and all of the, uh, well, all of the shenanigans that went on with that. And that's something that I imagine a lot of the people out there who have looked into this probably already know, the, the reports of multiple bombs and the, uh, well, all of the, the, the John Doe number 2 and all of the other things that add up to something much, much different than what we were told about what happened at OKC that day, back in 1995. But in a strange way, that does tangentially relate to tonight's topic, As I say, we're going to take a bit of a different twist on an old topic tonight by not taking a look at something that has happened in the past or examining something that's already occurring, but putting our minds a little bit in the future tense and speculating a little bit about what is to be. And let me say, first up, right off the bat, that I'm not making any predictions this evening. I'm not prognosticating, and I'm not trying to be the next uh, Harold Camping or Doomsday uh, Sayer saying that, that whatever we're talking about tonight is necessarily going to happen but I think it is interesting to take a look at the way that certain memes and certain ideas are being propagated right now and see if we can infer from them the shape, the tenor, and perhaps even the form of the next false flag attack. I think as students of false flag attacks already know, these attacks are often preceded by a preparatory phase where the public is conditioned in a way that When the attack eventually happens, people will simply accept that it happens the way that the government said it's going to happen. This relates to some of the themes that we've talked about on this broadcast before, including predictive programming. And uh, we'll get more into that specifically later on in tonight's broadcast. But tonight we're going to examine some of the the latest news and and current events and see if we can parse and, and scry and read from the tea leaves what might be coming down the line. Once again, I'm stressing this is only a speculation, and it is not a prediction of any kind, but certainly we can see certain events shaping up in a certain way to indicate a certain type of false flag attack that at the very least is a very real possibility. And just to give you a hint of what this involves, I will skip straight to the meat and potatoes, because tonight we're going to be talking about the U.S. drone fleet, And specifically, a story, and well, actually, a a group of stories, which I'll start to flesh out in this episode, but right now I'll just direct you to a story on Yahoo News from October 10th of 2011. USAF drones hacked again. Air Force drones now come equipped with missiles, cameras, and malware. A very interesting story that I think we can start to extrapolate and take a look at some of the stories, as I say, that are being put out these days and I think we can infer what might be coming next in the grand false flag trajectory. And it's something that we have to keep our guards up for and something that we have to be informed about ahead of time because it is like a magic trick. If we know what they're doing and how they're doing it, then their phony explanations for how it's done will not work on us. We will not believe them when they say that they pulled the rabbit out of their sleeve, We'll we'll know, or out of their hat, we'll know that it was really hiding up their sleeve. So that's the topic of tonight's program. We're going to try to guess what might be the next false flag event. So I hope you'll stay tuned for more on that. And, of course, I am James Corbett from CorbettReport.com. So if you want more information about the work that I've done on false flag events in the past, you can, of course, go to CorbettReport.com. False flags, my friends. False flags. That's the key word for this evening on tonight's broadcast of Corbett Report Radio as we go in search of the next false flag, or at least what might possibly be the next false flag. And Of course, we have to add in that proviso because I think I've seen way too many times when people have made bold pronouncements about what, ex- what is going to happen on such and such a date or in such and such a way and every single time I've ever seen someone make such a bold prediction, it has failed to come true. So I'm not going to be doing that this evening. I'm just going to be giving you some ideas of what I think is a, a possible vector for the next false flag attack. And as I said in the first segment tonight, I think we can see and read in the tea leaves where the uh, New World Order elite are going with their next false flag event by what they are trying to prepare the, co- the consciousness of the people for. So, having said that, I think students of false flags, as I'm sure many of you out there in the audience are, uh, probably are, are already aware that false flag events come in many different shapes, forms, and flavors. We have events like, for example, Pearl Harbor, where which have, were manipulated into happening. There were, the Japanese were certainly provoked into attacking, and it was allowed to happen, but it wasn't necessarily a false flag insofar as the Japanese actually did attack. So it wasn't as if there was no attack at all, or that the attack was actually committed by a different force. It was just that the attack was known about in advance and allowed to happen. That's not, strictly speaking, a form of false flag attack, which, of course, is when an enemy is said to have attacked, but in fact it was actually someone else, and uh, you're just trying to blame your enemy for that attack. Well, that's not exactly what happened at Pearl Harbor, but I think we can uh, say that that's within the realm of the similar type of event, where some type of event was allowed to happen, even though it was known about in advance. And again, I say that advisedly, and for, um, for people who want even more information about that, just yesterday, or yes, two days ago, on U.S. News and World Reports there was a new report, Declassified Memo Hinted of 1941 Hawaii Attack. Uh, three days before the December seventh, 1941, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt was warned in a memo from Naval Intelligence that Tokyo's military and spy network was focused on Hawaii, a new and eerie reminder of FDR's failure to act on a basket load of tips that war was near. Oh yes, a failure to act. It's always the failure of intelligence, the failure to act, despite the bucket loads of intelligence uh, pointing in the exact direction of what was exactly going to happen. And as I think you and I are well aware, these are not just random acts of failure and incompetence. They all lead up to something which suggests something very different. And of course, we know that FDR, and specifically Churchill, of course, were very interested in getting um, America embroiled in World War II. And no better way to do that than something like Pearl Harbor. So as I say, the allowing something to happen or fomenting it and then allowing it to happen is one form of what I would posit lies within the realm of false flag attacks. Then we have things like, uh, for example, the Gulf of Tonkin event, which was really the, the, the rally cry, the Picasso's belly that allowed the U.S. to formally admit uh, that they were getting involved in Vietnam. Of course, they'd already been there with their CIA and their, uh, their forces in, in some numbers for uh, quite a few years before that. But the start of official combat operations in the Vietnam War really came with the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, where, of course, uh, the, the, the U.S. claimed that their ships had been attacked by the Vietnamese and uh, there may have been some indications that that might something along those lines might have happened once, but uh, the second event, which was really the one that that sparked the whole the whole process, uh, is has now been proven to have never happened. And we already have the uh, the tapes of um, of the uh, the defense secretary McNamara talking to uh, Johnson at the time and admitting that uh, that probably nothing happened, but we better use this. And uh, and use it they did, and they used it to really start formal combat operations in Vietnam. And uh, so that's another type of false flag event. That that one didn't even occur at all. They just made it up and said it happened, and it, that was enough to really embroil the entire country in a war. Um, we have other types of events. We have, for example, the OKC bombing, which I think the, the vast majority of the evidence now points to the fact that that was really engineered by the fbi and we know that there were all sorts of intelligence agents swarming all over that story and we know uh we have pretty clear indications that mcveigh was sheep dipped that he was actually working for special forces and was uh, still in the army despite having been quote unquote discharged uh, he was still in the army he was working for special forces and he was uh he was doing what his bosses had told him to do, and he even wrote a letter to his sister uh, when he was in prison saying that he was in the Special Forces and uh, that he'd been asked to do certain things. So, uh, and that's even from the New York Times, I mean, that's not controversial in the least. So I think we can see that the OKC bombing, uh, to the extent that the the Ryder truck bomb even did any of the damage that we saw at the Murrah Building that day, that's debatable, and certainly something we'll talk about with James Lane and Holland Van De tomorrow night on this program. But, uh, but at any rate, I think we can see that that was very much a staged and manipulated event and that there was uh, the FBI's uh, fingerprints all over that, not to mention several other agencies. Of course, the uh, ATF also having their their hands in that uh, unfortunate tr- tragedy at, uh, in Oklahoma City. And then, of course, we have events like 9-11, which I think is obviously one of the the towering uh, examples of, of false flag events in our times and something that as we've been told so many times, changed the world forever. And uh, uh, we all know how that transpired and all of the shenanigans around 9-11. And I think if you're listening to this broadcast, you already probably know quite a bit about that. So I won't get into it too deeply, but just to say that there, of course, again, another false flag event in which the enemy was... Was already implanted in the consciousness, so that all the uh, all the perpetrators had to do was point at those scary turbaned boogeymen and say, "Look who did it," and then they could use that as, as the uh, the excuse to further their agenda around the world. And certainly, we've seen that unfold over the past decade. So, breaking this down and trying to to summarize at least some of the steps that are necessary in that preparatory phase for a false flag, so that we can identify the next false flag. I think we can try to break this down into at least three, st- three steps, each of which is very much important for, for getting the public ready for what, whatever is coming. Because once again, if the public isn't ready for a false flag event, if it's not already implanted in their consciousness in some way, I think they're not going to fall for it as easily. They're going to be skeptical. They're going to have questions. But if the narrative is already there and all you have to do is say, hey, look, here is A, here is B, here is the straight line, and it connects the two, and then the, uh, the public will be more willing to accept it. So I, I'm positing tonight that there are at least three preparatory stages, all of which uh, can be happening simultaneously, they can happen at different times, they can happen years in advance, or months in advance, or days in advance, but I think they're all necessary to some extent for prepping the public for a false flag. And those three phases are establishing the premise, implanting the meme, and leaving the back door open. So I think, for example, let's take a specific example. Let's look at 9-11, since that's one that I think we all know pretty well. Establishing the premise of 9-11 is something that w- was self-evidently being done throughout the 1990s as the terror threat started to become more and more hyped by the officials in the Clinton administration who started to make Bin Laden into the boogeyman that they needed in order to make the 9/11 false flag successful? So we saw that in a number of different ways, from a number of different characters. And some people have, for example, dug up the uh, the old Council on Foreign Relations mouthpiece, uh, their journal. What's it called? Foreign Affairs? No, that's, I think that's a different one. The name escapes me at the moment. But the Council of Foreign Affairs, uh, foreign the Foreign Relations, sorry, the CFR's official publication back in 98, I believe, was publishing um, a, an issue which had several articles that actually related to 9-11 in various ways, talking about the bin Laden, al-Qaeda boogeyman, talking about the, the face of terrorism and the way that the uh, the U.S. would be shaped by terrorism and things like that. Um, that you can find out more information on that from the excellent Peace Revolution podcast at peacerevolution.org, where they've uh, gone over that before um and uh, so we've seen for example in the 1990s very much the setting of the stage the establishing of the premise there is this al-qaeda boogeyman threat they are everywhere they're just waiting to pounce and they're starting to to get antsy and we know they're going to try to strike america any way they can so we saw all of that going on we also saw of course implanting the meme and by this i mean talking about the the ways that the idea was implanted in the popular culture and in the popular consciousness because establishing the premise, I see more as the news uh, news agenda trying to set the the official story in advance. So talking about Al Qaeda and the boogeyman, for example, in the 9/11 case. But implanting the meme is more trying to hit that layer of society that that doesn't follow the news, that isn't reading the CFR's journals, that isn't interested in the the day-to-day happenings around the world and probably are going to miss the establishing of the premise phase, you still want that section of the public in on the plot. So in order to implant the meme, you do something like, well, you make a a spin-off of The X-Files called The Lone Gunman, where it turns out, yes, a few months before 9-11 actually happened, they had an episode where... A rogue element of the government hijacks airplanes by remote control in order to slam them into the 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 World Trade Center, sorry, in order to justify wars in the Middle East. So the entire 9-11 premise right there in your face, months in advance, uh, being being watched by millions of people across America and, of course, even across the world, just an absolutely astounding coincidence, which I think we can all see is not much of a coincidence at all. So then the final phase of this is leaving the back door open, which really enables the attack. So that's obviously for the cases where it is a genuine attack from outside, and you need the uh, the enemy to, to be successful in order to strike. It can also be, even if it's a uh, a homegrown plot and everything is an inside job, it's completely 100% inside, you still need to have that that legend of the uh, the boogeyman out there and how they were able to get around your impenetrable defenses. So let's come back after this this break, and we'll talk a little bit more about leaving the back door open, and then we'll start to get into the next false flag and what might be being established right now by the New World Order. Welcome back, friends. We are here on Corbett Report Radio, going over the shape and the form of the next false flag. And right now we're breaking down the three steps that are necessary in the preparatory phase to any false flag to get the public to go along with the official story once it's been concocted and perpetrated on the public. So we've talked about establishing the premise. Like in the 9-11 run-up, we saw all of that Talk about the scary al-Qaeda boogeyman and all of the al-Qaeda-related memes and things that were being implanted in the news in the run-up to that. Then we saw the implanting of the meme. That's uh, to say, in the public consciousness, thinking about the ways that in pop culture this, this idea can be implanted. One example of that, of course, being the Lone Gunman episode, where basically the, the 9-11 plot was there in its entirety just a few months before it actually took place in real life. And then the last part of that is leaving the back door open, which is either if it's an actual attack from outside, um, letting the uh, basically putting your your defenses down so that, that the attack can take place. We see that, for example, with uh, Pearl Harbor, where the, the, the forces there were a sitting duck, and despite all of the warnings that we now know, we now know for documented fact were were available beforehand absolutely nothing was done to, to protect the forces there at Pearl Harbor. It was allowed to happen. That's leaving the back door open. Or in the 9-11 example, well, depending what view you take on to the extent to which it was an inside job or the extent to which it ran, but we can look at something like the, the war games that were taking place on 9-11 as one example of leaving the back door open, because they necessarily and self-evidently interfered with the, the air defense that day, just to make sure, just to put the little creme de, de, de pièce de résistance on the very top of the uh, cherry pie there, just to make sure that nothing could possibly go wrong and that the, the, the planes wouldn't hit their targets, just making sure that there were no defenses. And uh, part of that was done, obviously, through those war games and all of the Various things that were going on, not just the war games like the, the NORAD uh, Global Guardian that everyone knows about, but some of the more obscure things like sending fighters off to Iraq during that time, sending fighters off to Alaska. Uh, the Northeast Air Defense Sector was extremely under undermanned, understaffed, underpowered that day, and that was obviously not by chance. So that's another example of leaving the back door open. Or you could look at all of the, uh, the other ridiculous parts of the official 9-11 story, including all of the FBI agents who genuinely, I think, truly were trying to do their jobs, genuinely concerned about the security of the United States, genuinely believing that their job was to protect that national security, and thus following the, at the very least, the legends of the 9/11 hijackers, whoever they really were in reality, and indications are that they were they were people who were on the inside and were believing themselves to be taking part in drills. But uh, again, regardless of the extent to which you believe that or have different opinions, certainly the FBI uh, agents who weren't in on the plot were genuinely trying to follow and find out about these people and trying to search the laptop of Musawi and others and repeatedly at every single stage, at every step of the way, being thwarted by their own superiors to the point where as Colleen Rowley has pointed out, uh, there were FBI in the, I believe, the Minnesota, the Minneapolis field office of the FBI, joking about how the FBI was really working for bin Laden. So it was very much a, a case of having the, uh, the door wide open. And then, of course, there was also the secret back door on 9-11, the PTECH software, which if you don't know about, I just urge you to go and type P-T-E-C-H 9-11 into a search engine and see what comes up so that you can find out about the software that was running tests on the interoperability of the FAA and the NORAD uh, computer systems on the morning of 9-11. Oh, what a coincidence that was. And, oh, yes, it did have a backdoor, and it did allow anyone to uh, interfere with the the regular functioning of those systems. And, oh, by the way, it was run by, uh, well, it was financed by a person who was on the globally designated terrorist watch list, but, uh, but that was just the cutout in and of itself. Um, it, it, the Ptex story is in itself so insane that it has to be heard or read or seen to be believed. And there is good documentaries out there about that, so I urge you to check them out. But that's another example of leaving the back door open, which is exactly what was done on 9-11, and that's exactly why it went off. I don't know if it went off without a hitch, but it went off, I think, pretty well for the perpetrators, if we can put it in those terms. I think every indication is that Flight 93 was shot down, and we have that from numerous different sources, and I think that was probably not a ultimate part of the game plan. I think that might have been an actual, real part of the air defense uh, that uh, obviously was not in on the plot. Obviously not everyone in the government was in on the plot. Obviously there were people who were genuinely trying to protect the airspace that morning, and I think at least one of them got the target, so... That's, uh, that would explain Flight 93, so perhaps it didn't go off without a c- hitch for the perpetrators, but it went off well enough for them to get their police state and to get their wars of aggression around the world. So we have those three phases, establishing the premise, implanting the meme, and leaving the back door open. So now that we've established that, well, we'll move into what I think might be the next false flag, or at least a coming false flag, because certainly we are seeing the preparations for it coming along the line. But before we get into that, let me just remind you, I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. I'm an independent web journalist, and I really do rely on the support of people out there who are listening to, in order to support me and to keep this research coming and to keep all of this going. So if you can go to CorbettReport.com slash support and contribute to this effort, it would be greatly appreciated. And as of today, there's going to be a new e-newsletter for subscribers to the Corbett Report that's going to be coming out later today. So this is the best time of all time to subscribe to the Corporate Report. And on that note, we'll be right back on Corporate Report Radio.
1: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
0: To Corporate Report Radio. We are here live on this Wednesday evening, coming to you live here from Japan, where it's already Thursday afternoon. And I'm welcoming you back to the broadcast. Of course, tonight we're talking about false flags and what might be the next false flag event. And if you want to get in on tonight's conversation with your own idea for the next false flag, the phone lines are wide open. It's one 800 313 9443 That's one 800 So we've gone through the three phases of preparation for implanting the false flag idea in the public consciousness. We have establishing the premise, implanting the meme, and leaving the back door open. So tonight I'm going to posit my own idea for what I think is a very good candidate for the next false flag event to come down the pipeline, and we are seeing that already it's been building for a few years now. There's been a lot of talk about this particular problem... And I'll pick this up from the AP, the Associated Press, from November 7th, 2011. Cyber weaknesses should deter U.S. from waging war. It says, in part, America's critical computer networks are so vulnerable to attack that it should deter U.S. leaders from going to war with other nations, a former top U.S. cybersecurity official said Monday. Richard Clark, a top advisor to three presidents, joined a number of U.S. military and civilian experts in offering a dire assessment of America's cybersecurity at a conference, saying the country simply can't protect its critical networks. Clark said if he was advising the president, he would warn against attacking other countries because so many of them, including China, North Korea, Iran, and Russia, could retaliate by launching devastating cyber attacks that could destroy power grids, banking networks, or transportation systems. Indeed. And Richard Clark, for those who don't know, a very interesting character. I suggest people look up Richard Clark and his ideas. He's been touting this cyber war idea for several years now, so he has uh, definitely his own ideas about what the the next big attack on the U.S. is going to be, and he has uh, a little bit of financial uh, profit at stake. Every time it seems there's a new edition of his book coming out, he goes back on the the junket to warn of this impending cyber attack against the impenetrable U.S. government. Well, take that for what 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 it's worth, but at any rate, I think we can see, at least uh, from that, we can see the beginnings of the establishing of the premise. And again, as I say, this is something that's been going on for a long, long time. Uh, For example, back in July of this year, we had our good old friend, Senator John McCain, proposing panel-to-probe government cyber attacks basically saying that, uh, oh, we need adequate safeguards to detect and defeat any insider threat of disclosure of classified documents, such as we experienced with WikiLeaks. So the obvious answer is to create a new draconian system of cracking down on the net and using, uh, using Lockheed Martin and other federal contractors to develop cyber weapons to combat this threat. Again, there is story after story after story after story going over this idea, and it's been fleshed out in quite a bit of detail now over the last several years. Of course, we've seen the formation of Cyber Command, the U.S. Armed Forces' uh, answer to these supposed uh, huge threats to the infrastructure of the United States. Of course, they often don't leave out such things as, well, of course, nuclear power plants and the like aren't connected to the Internet directly, or at least shouldn't be. But uh, but again, that might be part of the uh, leaving the backdoor open phase of all of this. So establishing the premise, we've definitely, definitely seen that over the last several years, if not spe- specifically in the last few months. And as I pointed out at the beginning of tonight's episode, we had this interesting story recently. USAF drones hacked again, talking about the Predator and Reapers, which are doing such damage and killing wantonly all around the world, uh, operated by people at the Creech Air Force Base in Nevada playing uh, just directing joysticks. like it's a video game as they kill and go on their killing sprees. Well, uh, uh, surprise, surprise hey this, this these four uh, these uh, networks that, that operate these predators, they're hooked up I guess to the internet and have contracted malware that well has like key logging and other things that people can use to direct these these uh, armed predators. what a what a bizarre story. So reading from that USAF drones hacked Again story, Quote, Predator and Reaper hunter-killer UAVs hunting terrorists and insurgents in Afghanistan have been infected with malware carrying AV-resistant keyloggers according to an October 7th, 2011 report from Wired. Keyloggers have been sneaked into the onboard operational systems of Air Force Predator and Reaper drones, recording every move and command the remote pilots make as they crisscross war zones in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Da, da, da. Well, wow! What an incredible idea! So apparently, these these ma- uh, malware infected drones. Well, there might be uh, there might be outside forces that might be able to at least see what they're doing, and hey, who knows? Perhaps even take them over. And uh, this report goes on to say that militants in Iraq used twenty six dollar off the shelf software to intercept live video free- feeds from U S Predator drones. So. Apparently, these things are not exactly as uh, impenetrable as the U.S. uh, might want you to believe, or might not want you to believe, more to the point. So we have the establishing of the premise. We have this idea that there's this cyber warfare brewing, and we have the idea that these predator drones are now these virus-laden vehicles that are really waiting to be hacked by some crafty al-Qaeda insurgent out there in Pakistan or wherever. And, well, hey, guess what? Implanting the meme, we've certainly, certainly seen that, as we've seen so many of these different media entities hyping and and really hawking on the public this idea that all of these drones are so susceptible to these types of hacks. So, for example, we have NCIS Los Angeles, a television show which I am proud to say I have never watched, except for a little bit of this episode, Season 1, Episode 3, and uh, reading from the recap, during a Marine Corps training exercise, a Predator with Hellfire missiles is hijacked, resulting in the death of a Marine. The team must locate this UAV before it can be used against America. And I even have a clip from that episode, so let's listen to a bit of NCIS Los Angeles.
1: Permission to fire granted. That's a roger, Stingray 6.
0: BFT has you clear.
1: Target is confirmed. You have authorization to fire. All in back.
0: Hawkeye is fired. And 5, 4, 3,
1: 2, 1. Hawkeye, this is Stingray 6. Confirm missile fired, over. Stand by. Hawkeye, we are getting on this fire alert. Hawkeye, your drone is veering off course. Return to previous sector. Rig, what the hell's happening?
0: Target coordinates are shifting. Mike, get out of there. I've now lost control of the drone.
1: Hawkeye, we have radar confirmation of missile fire. Please advise. Mike, the missile's live. Get out of there.
0: Mike. Mike, Mike, oh yes, wow, exciting, isn't it? Well, there you go, the implanting of the meme, and uh, as I say, this is something that's not just taking place in that one isolated example. We in fact see this idea of these hacked Predator drones coming up again and again, and uh, we even have an episode of American Dad, of all things, in which they had an episode in which Steve takes control of a UAV Predator drone while Stan is away, and then he crashes that Predator drone into the Squirrel President. The Vice President Squirrel takes over and begins taking the country to war and changing things in America. So, uh, hmm, interesting. Take that for what you will. And even the uh, the new Beavis and Butthead episodes that revived a cartoon classic, has a episode in which, uh, I guess, I haven't seen it for myself yet, but I guess uh, somehow Beavis and Butthead get to take over a drone and fly it around to, and to basically take control of it. We have this idea coming up again and again and again of people taking control of these Predator drones. Again, it, it's just cartoons, it's just silly, uh, mindless uh, entertainment, but as we've seen, this predictive programming works in the way of putting the idea into your head when your defenses are down, when you are not expecting to be implanted with any sort of idea, but you're just subtly being introduced to the to the overall concept. Oh, these drones, they can be taken over by anyone. So, where is this all leading? Well, obviously, I think this starts to indicate that we have an idea that, oh, these drones might be taken over by some insurgent somewhere and used against the U.S., or against U.S. forces, or against we against U.S. interests, well, anywhere in the world, really, that these drones are. So we have these bizarre incidents taking place already, as I say, of the malware cropping up on the predators and reapers. I guess the last piece of the puzzle is, is the back door open, so to speak? Well, the fact that these predators are being infected with malware in and of itself, I think, shows that there is some shenanigans going on, because why on earth, how on earth could these uh, things be being infected with viruses Well, it it gets even worse than that. Wired.com had a report recently called Get Hacked, Don't Tell. Drone Base Didn't Report Virus. And it says officials at Creech Air Force Base in Nevada knew for two weeks about a virus infecting the drone cockpits there, but they kept the information about the infection to themselves, leaving the unit that's supposed to serve as the Air Force's cybersecurity specialists in the dark. The network defenders at the 24th Air Force learned of the virus by reading about it in danger room, i.e., they read about it on Wired. I, I, again, it just absolutely beggars the imagination. It cannot possibly be the case that this happened in this way. And yet this is what we are being asked to believe, that this keylogger software somehow magically ended up on these these incredibly sensitive uh, computer systems that are actually puppeting and and controlling the the predator drones and that after it was discovered they just didn't bother to tell the cyber the crack cyber command people for two weeks again if there is any better indication of a leaving the door open and not really addressing the threat that is obviously there well there you go i, I think once again Establishing the premise, check. Implanting the meme, check. Leaving the back door open, check. So we have certainly the, the idea, at least uh, the preparatory phases of the idea of a hacked drone doing some damage. And the way that that type of scenario could play out, well, obviously there are a lot of different ways it could play out. But we saw recently, for example, the brouhaha around the drone attack in Pakistan, the, uh, the airstrike by NATO forces that has, um, well, has actually resulted in the death of, I believe, up to 26 Pakistani security forces. Pakistan is going crazy right now, and they're blocking NATO from entering uh, Pakistan. They're they're really, really seriously uh, changing relations between Pakistan and, and the West right now. And Pakistan already starting to become more and more hostile. So what could possibly happen if we get some insurgents, maybe some... some uh, some people from within the Pakistani military, which, w- well, as we know, they were harboring bin Laden for all those years. Maybe they're they're really on the other side, so they, they managed to hack into one of these drones and turn them on U.S. forces in Afghanistan. What would happen then? Well, the 2014 pullout from Afghanistan that we've been promised, of course all the troops are coming home in 2014. What could possibly make them not come home? Oh, wait, there was a hacked drone. There was that attack. It's, it's Pakistan. We're going to have to... Keep our troops in the region. We need boots on the ground to make sure. I mean, and then we have to go and secure the Pakistani nukes. I mean, the nukes are everywhere over there, and we need American forces, so. So there you go. I mean, that's that's the broad outline of what I'm talking about here. And as I say, it is only a a speculation. It's only the, the broad outline. And as I say, it's just a card up their sleeve, one among many. And we never know when or how they're going to be doing that. But it's at least an indication of what could be happening. But I'm interested in getting your take on the next false flag. So we have a couple of callers waiting patiently on the line. Let's go to the phone lines. And first we have uh, John from Canada on line one. So, John, thank you for joining us tonight.
1: Hi. Uh, I, unfortunately, I, I missed uh, what seems to be a really fine show. I've caught maybe the last 15, 20 minutes or so. Is your name James? Is it James? That's right.
0: It's James Corbett.
1: Okay, yeah, James, yeah, I, uh, I hear what you're saying for sure that, uh, also I believe it could possibly serve for a plausible deniability to go, well, yeah, well, the reason we keep sacrificing soldiers for, uh, for our mistakes, which enriches further the military contractors is, uh, because somebody w- able, was able to hack into what could, you know, would easily be a 256 be- a bit, probably even greater in military encryption radio code—it's just impossible.
0: It's just nonsense. Exactly. It's, it's right. Exactly it right. And of course, as exactly as you point out, it doesn't even have to be an attack—a successful attack or something—but just the idea of this threat can give them the, the what they need in order to supply another military contractor with another billion-dollar contract to further secure these yeah, systems, yeah. which they for have sure, left yeah. wide open.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and uh yeah. The way I look at these false flags is that there's no mystery at all, and it's our egos that mostly get in the way of our inability so far to communicate the understandings of cause-and-effect relationships. For example, uh, Senator Daschle, right after 9-11 on uh, Meet the Press with Tim Russert, confirmed, as FBI officers do also, Bush and Cheney immediately closed 9-11 police investigations. So if we stop police from ascertaining how we were done wrong, the bad guys will for sure escape. It's similarly with McCain saying, "Well, we're we're going to maybe incarcerate Americans without any evidence." Well, if you don't use evidence to ascertain who the guilty party is for a criminal offense, the bad guy for sure escapes. Like or it's Giuliani clearing so out simple. the crime
0: scene down at Ground Zero.
1: Yeah, if you don't use, ev- yeah, uh, I think I heard what you just said. I mean, yeah, if you, I mean, if you don't use evidence, you're you the bad guys escape. Like it's so simple, slapping your face, kind of God or God slapping us in the face or whatever. It's just. You know, it's just right there. Like, uh, for example, uh, Saddam Hussein, or even with Gaddafi too. But Saddam Hussein wasn't in violation of 1441. Kofi Annan said uh, it's a war crime because soldiers' lives of being sacrificed have been sacrificed for no better good or reason understood. We had unrestricted access to go wherever we please without delay, and that's the like you talk about perception management. I can't speak like this on any show, practically in, in North America, but for some uh, shows uh, at uh, Republic Radio and a couple other uh, stations. But that's it. But that's what CNN won't allow, won't us, uh, allow us to know. Gaddafi did everything that was a required or asked of himself. Similarly to uh, Saddam, and he and but they use that as the excuse. They say, well, we've got to kill the people in in Libya because uh, Gaddafi is committing genocide. Well, Russia said that's not true. And he, and Gaddafi did call an immediate ceasefire that the UN resolution 1976 required. But NATO just started bombing anyway, because there's no vote at at the UN. China, communist China isn't going to defend these people by saying, hey, wait, hold on a second. They don't have the intellectual strength either, by the way. You know, the leader, the people in positions of leadership get there by selling us out primarily in North America, but in these other nations also. People who can understand what, uh, that justice is freedom. Don't get to talk too much in this world because uh, bad guys don't escape any longer. You know, we go after KBR gang rapists, for example. It's just incredible to me that John McCain, uh, with his 29 other Republicans, have, have deemed KBR gang rapists lawless.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And,
0: and you can look into the Court child kidnapping rings and all of the, the exact same stuff. It's a corporatocracy and the corporations can get away with what they want. Good points, but we'll have to leave it there. We have another caller on the line. Let's take a short break and we'll come right back with the next caller. to the closing minutes of Corbett Report Radio, friends. James Corbett here from CorbettReport.com going over the idea for the next false flag, at least a scenario of what could play out, talking about the recent drone hacks that have been going on that we are led to believe have left the drone fleet open to these viruses and malwares and key loggers and perhaps even de- a more dastardly software that could take over these, these drones and potentially even use them against the U.S.'s own forces. And for more on this idea and this story, you can go to youtube.com slash Report or CorbettReport.com and look for a an episode of New World Next Week, my weekly news series with James Evan Pilato of my, MediaMonarchy.com. From October 13th, 2011, we had one called Iranian Plot Fast and Furious Drone Virus. And from the notes of that video, you'll find a link to a raw story article, CIA used pirated inaccurate software to target drone attacks. And uh, we have from Bill Conroy down in this uh, deep, buried deep, deep in this story. It says the potential for a software malfunction to cause serious havoc with an unmanned aerial vehicle such as a Predator drone is no longer a matter of pure theory. Last month, a Navy drone entered the airspace of the nation's capital after being out of control for a half hour due to what the Navy called a software issue. So just another piece of this puzzle. And as I say, I think cybersecurity and the idea of a cyber false flag it's something very, very much on the horizon, and it's one of those events that could serve numerous purposes, including, of course, giving the feds the, the incident that they need to clamp down on the Internet, which, of course, is their Achilles heel, without which I wouldn't be coming to you tonight. But on that note, we have one caller, again, waiting on the line very patiently. We have Lucky from Maryland. So Lucky, thank you for joining us tonight. What's on your mind?
2: Hey, <coughs> hey James. Oh, pardon me. Um I have a myriad of things I want to talk to you about, but the first thing is based on the attacks. I live in the DC area. I'm in Maryland. Recently, there's been a radio station that's been broadcasting, um, uh, information about the terms being able to fly across North America. I'm not sure about the details, but I mean, I think it ties into what you're talking about.
0: Indeed. Well, uh, do you have, do you have anything more on that?
2: Uh, no, basically, that, that, that's it. I mean, I, I listen to them every day. The, the WTOP if you want to tune in from uh, Japan, but they uh, are pretty, they're they they they're tied in the CPS and that kind of thing. And just the fact, I was trying to break with my wife the other day, and she said that, that or we're, we're listening to, this, to uh, the report, and,
0: sorry, um, no problem. So you're in the D.C. area. So what yeah. kind of? So obviously you, you get a little bit of the the inside the Beltway kind of news and things like that. So so you've obviously seen the preparation for this cyber war hysteria, ramping up over yeah. the last few years, haven't you?
2: Well, well, there's a few reporting on today about the viruses, and stuff getting drones. That's new news to me. The thing that was alarming to me when you were saying that was what I was hearing on the news reports locally, you know, about the North America using drones internally. And I wish I could remember what the source was in terms of uh, what was given the legitimacy to be able to do that. I don't know if it was
0: legislation or what the story was, but... This, this I've heard different. of them using them on the, the border patrol, and give, using that excuse as a way of uh, basically surveilling their own citizens. But, yeah, uh, it, uh, of course it doesn't surprise me in any way, and we know that uh, police, uh, individual police departments are now using various types of drones and spy planes to, to spy on their own people. So it's happening right now, and it's going to continue happening, and unfortunately there is this wide-open vector of the false flag attack, but on that note, we're fresh out of time for this evening, so I hope you're all going to join me tomorrow night as we have James Lane and Holland den Neuenhoff talking about the OKC false flag. So until then, thank you for joining me, and as always, check into CorbettReport.com for the notes to tonight's episode, to links to all of the things that we discussed tonight. So thank you, and take care.